resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. Communication is down all over the country. Everybody was just rushing up to the closest high point. I'm just holding on for dear life here. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. The warnings were going up. The extent to which people took heed of the warnings is another question. Very much a wake-up call. People were prepared and that's why we've got less lives lost than we could have had. People need to know what to do and it's not difficult. We provide the right information to people and they can act accordingly. Pacific Kissing Was. The Pacific Pacific, you feel I must prepare. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared, where the Pacific comes together to share information that can save lives, save loved ones, and save livelihoods. I'm Aaron Carney. In this episode, Palau calls on some friends to bolster its emergency response, how the disaster tragedies of the past can help us today, how to be ready for the threat of bushfire, and what can Fiji do to protect itself from tsunami with limited resources. Disasters may be inevitable, but the loss of your life, your family, your home, your land or your village are not. So, let's prepare. It was a terrifying night. Everything was shaking and getting pounded by debris. We had to make sure that they have a safe shelter and drinking water. Helping you stay safe, Pacific Prepared. The Micronesian nation of Palau, like many others across the Pacific, has relatively small populations spread over many islands and large distances, presenting huge challenges in coordinated disaster response. Just months ago, a typhoon arrived with little warning and did serious damage. And in 2013, super typhoon Haiyan pounded Palau and parts of Micronesia with winds of up to 250 kilometres an hour. Should another event like that strike, the United States military has promised to provide disaster support and recently visited Palau for a series of workshops to coordinate local efforts with those of the US and Taiwan. Pacific Prepared Micronesia correspondent Bernadette Carrion spoke with the Chief of Plans, Programs and Analysis at the US Department of Defense Center for Excellence in Disaster Management and Humanitarian Assistance, Clyde Luchet, and asked, what benefit will the people of Palau see from these workshops? It'd be valuable to the people because natural response, natural disasters, um, everybody should be prepared. The ability to work together, the ability to uh, make people aware of, of what they need to do and, and that they uh, are protected and supported with the appropriate measures and mediums uh, is of paramount importance because it's something that no one person can do alone. It is imperative that um, everybody work together and countries and organizations that are allies know how to help one another. And what are you hoping to achieve with this workshop? So with the workshop, we are hoping to increase our interoperability, our ability to work together, recognizing that Palau, obviously, strong partner of the United States, uh, recognizes Taiwan, uh, is able to respond to emergencies and make what weaknesses they have strengths so we were able to identify working with with wayman's team with with nemo certain um, aspects of emergency response that uh, could be strengthened and so we did our best to provide the training to strengthen those weaknesses to to improve them there was a mention about knowledge exchange so is there any lesson learned 
what did the U.S. learn from Palau? What did the U.S. learn from Taiwan? Uh, so the United States learned that Palau was well organized, that they have uh, their NEC, their Emergency Council, headed by the Vice President, who presided and was present uh, for the entire workshop, which was amazing, uh, which shows the commitment of the administration to, to be there and, and to be supportive. And, uh, and so that, that was wonderful. We learned that, again, so Palau is well organized that they're improving and also have the means to, to take care of what they need to take care of. Uh, what the U.S. learned, what we learned from working with Taiwan is their technical expertise. They have different uh, equipment and technology that they use to help early warning and preparedness for disasters, which was uh, very good. And obviously, Taiwan with Palau, they, they agreed moving forward to, to work together even more and see what opportunities there are for Taiwan to, to continue their relationship in training and early warning and emergency preparedness. What kind of disaster or emergencies are we talking about that Palau and the region could potentially face? So the main one obviously would be typhoons. Um, Typhoon Sergei hit Palau four months uh, prior to our workshop. And before then, obviously, Typhoon Haiyan in 2013 when they struck the island. It, you know, many countries um, don't think about emergency preparedness, emergency response until an actual emergency. So it's nice that Palau, knowing that they're an island state, that, you know, in the Pacific, that they have to be prepared. And so the ability to understand your, your geography, your strengths, your weaknesses, and what needs to be done uh, obviously makes it very important because typhoons aren't going to go away uh, with the impacts of climate change. Um, we all have to be prepared and be aware of, of what's, uh, what's, what's to come. Another potential disaster is COVID-19. Is this also been tackled in the workshop and how Palau can prepare? Absolutely. So COVID-19 was discussed uh, throughout our workshop. Um, the, the focus obviously was early warning and uh, inter-island uh, communication because obviously the, one of the keys is to be able to communicate in time of crisis, uh, integration of information, early warning, uh, evacuation of outlying islands, understanding that, you know, Palau has people displaced in different islands and uh, the ability to leverage every resource at your disposal to support. And COVID obviously being a factor today and, and probably for the long term, understanding how to mitigate uh, those concerns and uh, understanding that a model, whether it's for natural disaster or crisis management, can be leveraged for more than just one event. Uh, one of the uh, blessings and actually strengths of CFE, uh, DM, my organization, is that our training modules are based on crisis management, not just natural disaster. So the same framework, the same command and control structure can be used whether it's a typhoon or whether it's a, a pandemic. Is Palau doing well when it comes to disaster preparedness and addressing the impacts of COVID-19? Obviously, Palau has uh, strict controls in place to make sure that people coming into and out of the islands are, are properly tested. So they've done a great job of making sure uh, to keep the danger out from a COVID perspective. Uh, when you're in Palau, uh, they're always discussing and, and you can see the signage, you can, the conversations about keeping each other safe. As we say in Hawaii, taking care of your family, of your ohana. And so d done a fantastic job with that. Uh, Palau also, as I mentioned briefly a little bit earlier, their national uh, 
their NEC, as we call it. In the military, we use a lot of acronyms, apologize, but the National Emergency Council is well established. So when an incident occurs, that they, they're quick to respond and understand who needs to get together and where. They, they put the proper investment. Obviously, we were able to visit uh, NEMA headquarters near the airport when we were there and see the meeting room and some of the technology that uh, that the executive director that women to wise been able to acquire and establish, which which is amazing. It's uh, he's done a great job of, of making sure that Nemo is, is prepared to respond. How will the partnership between the U.S. military and Palau be visible to Palawans? CFEDM is um, is an organization that doesn't have resources when it comes to ships and aircraft, etc. Uh, the U.S. military has that responsibility, and so in the workshop uh, we had participation from the uh, the task force Koa Moana, which is part of the U.S. Marine Corps, out of First uh, Missionary uh, Marine Expeditionary Force, which is out of California, as well as the Marine Forces Pacific Command, which we call MARFORPEC here in Hawaii. So their their participation was there to help complement uh, an understanding of okay, if something were to happen. Uh, let's say a typhoon or if there's a need to support some of the outer islands you know how to receive uh, foreign ships and and or you know u.s ships and u.s aircraft to make sure that you know we are able to evacuate the outer islands are able to support an ally like palau because uh it's one of the responsibilities of the u.s military and uh, it's it's it was a good opportunity to discuss the mechanisms in place and and to kind of have a scenario of okay if, if another typhoon were to hit and it were to be very uh, catastrophic you know how would Palau be able to communicate and receive the forces to to provide support. Chief of Plans, Programs and Analysis at the U.S. Department of Defense Center for Excellence in Disaster Management and Humanitarian Assistance, Clyde Luchet, speaking with Pacific Prepared Micronesia correspondent Bernadette Carrion. We will have more from their conversation in an upcoming episode, including how the partnership might work when the next big disaster strikes. Ten minutes after the earthquake, we had a loud bang and then just saw the sea rising up. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Pacific Prepared. It's not only Micronesia talking about impending tropical weather. Right across the Pacific, it's that time of year when talk of cyclones becomes more common, including how the Northern Hemisphere hurricane and storm season is informing preparations for the South Pacific cyclone season. As we count down and ramp up, Pacific Prepared Samoa correspondent and Radio 2AP senior reporter Maui Liutumose sat down with Secretary General of the Samoa Red Cross Society, Namaulu Tataula Maolivao. Seeing the state of Louisiana in America being devastated by a severe tropical cyclone recently, mm-hmm. what is your concern over humanitarian status for Samoa if anything happened? It's sad to see all of what's going on around the world, but at the other side of things, you know, it's a good lesson learned for us. Uh, as we watch, you know, what is happening, you know, we, we think of ourselves and we and, and we put ourselves in their shoes and look at what needs to be here, what needs to be in place so that if this uh, thing happens, we should be already, uh, you know, uh, to, to move. For Samoa, we have the, the legal infrastructure, we have the laws in place and, and plans. 
While we are in the state of emergency, it means that all of this has been activated. So it means that we are we can respond at any time now. We believe that a lot of our villages have seen typical kind of thing, especially when the tsunami hit our country, that part of the country, and from all the other cyclones that have happened. So they at least they have um, a feel. Of what it is like, you know, to be affected by the impacts of these uh, disasters. Uh, and when we came around to do uh, training of our communities, because the training that I was talking about is actually training them to have the specific skills, training them on how they could respond. Because at the end of the day, it's our communities, it's us up there who would respond, and and they need to know what needs to be done. So the structure is already there. It's a matter of training them on uh, additional skills uh, to, to assist them further in um, ensuring that they are ready you know, to respond or even get themselves prepared ahead of time. Um, a lot, and a lot of what we have seen, especially uh, after the tsunami, people have moved inland. Our government had been constructing roads going inland, especially into our lands where we used to to work, you know, um, through our plantations and all of that. So it's good to see that because people have now realized it's not safe to live around the coast. Uh, they can always go down there to their lands and be near nearest to the sea so that they can fish and all of that. And when we know that there's a disaster, you know, coming along our way, it's time to move inland. So that is a good thing that has happened after the tsunami, because it took all those years after the two big cyclones of the 90s to convince people to move inland, because we had seen the construction uh, done by Cyclone Ofa and, and Val. But after the tsunami, you know, it didn't take time for them to, to move up. They are now moving inland. So that that's a good thing, and I think because they have prepared, and we have seen a lot of resilience in them from the past disasters, I think Samoa is good. It's in a good position, you know. So looking at all and exposing to what is going on around the world, it's good for them. You know, it really gives them, you know, a reminding of what needs to be done, making sure that you know the kids would be up there and and even listen to the radio or TV for the weather bulletin. And this is why we include that in our training with communities because they need to understand why is the weather bulletin so important. Huh? When they say that the cyclone is coming from so many miles, you know, northwest of Samoa and all of that, they should know how that that uh, cyclone travels towards the country. So by the time it hit us, we're already up there kind of thing, you know. So this is actually part of how we can react to the typical thing that is happening in Louisiana now. Uh, for Samoa Red Cross, we have uh, secured some relief supplies. Um, we have secured our blood donor population, uh, meaning that with the COVID-19, you know, uh, also approaching us, we have to make sure they have already uh, completed their two uh, uh, COVID-19 testing, you know, the AstraZeneca uh, vaccination. Uh, because we keep talking to Fiji, you know, uh, Red Cross uh, Society in Fiji is sharing with us the experience and we are learning from them. And we think we need to make sure our first aiders, you know, people that we have secured, standby first aiders, needs to be vaccinated uh, for the sake of going against the COVID-19. And at the same time, it will also help when, when disasters like 
uh, cyclones and all of that, you know, hit us because we actually will be immune from any other diseases uh, that will uh, be brought by the impacts of these um, climate changes. This is, you know, it, it's very good to see what is going on and it gives us the idea of what needs to be done. Pacific Prepared Samoa correspondent and Radio 2AP senior reporter Maui Lutumose speaking with the Secretary-General of the Samoa Red Cross Society, Namalaulu Tataula Maolivao. We will have more from that conversation in an upcoming episode, including how Samoa believes it has become safer by expecting the worst. Helping you stay safe. Pacific Prepared. Not everywhere in the Pacific is affected by bushfires, also known as wildfires, but they can be devastating and climate change means new areas are becoming vulnerable. To be prepared to save your life, your loved ones and your home during a disaster, you need to act now. Here's what to do to be ready for a fire. The first and most critical step is to have a discussion involving the family, community or village. Has fire threatened before? How did it behave? Are there any official resources that can be accessed? What buildings and homes are most at risk? What are the safest evacuation routes? Where is a safe evacuation meeting place? Once these questions have been answered, make sure everyone knows and understands. Practice an evacuation. Bushfire evacuation plans may be similar to other emergency plans, like tsunami or flood plans, or they may be completely different. For example, the top of a hill is usually a good place to go during a tsunami or floods, but is often highly dangerous during storms or fires. Make sure you have a common sense plan that is understood by everyone. Here are some simple things you can do now to make your home safer if fire breaks out. Trim overhanging trees and shrubs. This can stop the fire spreading to your home. If you have running water, make a plan on how it could be used to fight a fire. Remove material that can bend like doormats, wood piles, mulch, leaves, paint, outdoor furniture. Cut grass and remove the cuttings. Have a cleared area around your home. Clear and remove all the debris and leaves from the gutter surrounding your home. Burning embers can set your home on fire. If fire threatens, listen to the radio and monitor social media. Only act on official information. Do not listen to rumors and do not spread them. When a fire takes off, it is often too late to make a plan. So prepare now. Include everyone. Make it fun and be prepared.
This information has been compiled from multiple official government and non-government agencies across the Pacific and the world. PNG correspondent and NBC's Kevin Morai helping you know what to do now before you have to face bushfires. Be informed. Be ready. Pacific prepared. As we've already heard this episode, for the Pacific, cyclones are a familiar disaster. They have their own season, traditional knowledge is deep, and authorities are well practiced in understanding and forecasting them. But what about tsunami? They can be just as deadly as the worst cyclone, and yet we think about them much less and know far less about them. But that is changing. An advanced tsunami hazard assessment has just been conducted in Fiji, and it has implications for the entire Pacific. We've already discussed several aspects of the research, and you can hear those discussions in previous episodes. But Pacific Prepared reporter Shreya Kumar also asked leading researcher Bapon Fakhruddin what authorities need to do now to make communities better prepared and protected from tsunami. There are a couple of uh, coastal community resi- resilience framework exist, and uh, using some of those framework that could give like NDMO to make more uh, ensure that how ready each of those community uh, or how ready as a nation we are for tsunami warning systems or ensuring a tsunami, uh, reducing the tsunami um, threat in the country. Why did you look specifically at Fiji? Well, um, I have a quite a strong attachment with Fiji um, I think uh, before even actually I moved to uh, New Zealand. So we moved to New Zealand in 2015, but I'm actually working uh, with Fiji Med Service since 2010. And um, it's now it's almost like 11 or 12 years. Whenever I visited um, the people, the culture, and and, and the context, it has, it's quite, quite welcoming and quite receptive. And also there are a lot of enthusiasm by the government to to exploring some emerging research, some good practices, how that could be brought into the Fiji. And I think that's one of the reasons actually it, it gives us an opportunity to uh, to bring some of our international good practices to apply in the Fiji as a first. The study that we did in the in the Fiji, this is the Pacific first study on the advanced tsunami hazard assessment. Even in New Zealand, we are still actually working on such kind of uh, modeling approach. Uh, only Australia did um, for overall Australia because uh, the major and uh, that scenario has been developed by CSIRO and we are trying to using the CSIRO uh, latest uh, scenario to apply for uh, for the Pacific as well as uh, all other um, islands and uh, opportunity to work in Fiji on this particular uh, study. What are the similarities between Fiji's tsunami threat and that of other Pacific Island countries? The the whole Pacific Island is quite highly vulnerable to earthquake, tsunami, and volcanology because of this ring of fire, which actually 
cross over all the Pacific Islands uh, and it could cover, I think, um, if I'm not wrong, it's more than uh, 40,000 kilometers. And then you have major threat on earthquake, volcanic, and as well as tsunami. And so it's applicable for all the specific countries because if there is a tsunami, it's more on actually a regional event for any of those uh, Pacific countries. But uh, there is a there is a opportunity to expanding similar study for other mostly um, devastated or other mostly highly uh, tsunami prone country like Tonga, Vanuatu, um, Samoa, um, and, and Solomon, and, and many other islands. So we did one for Fiji, but um, it required actually to expand to the, all the Pacific island to making sure that our island community are safer and able to respond to tsunami. And what would be some of the differences? Because of the located near to the earthquake fault line, Fiji is quite vulnerable that you can have only nine minutes for uh, a warning, and that could not be uh, assisted with any sort of warning system. So that's why Fiji has a quite vulnerable to tsunami. Um, and um, a similar kind of nature could be also seen to the other places, but I think comparing to that, uh, Fiji is more uh, dangerously located than the, any other Pacific island. And what do you want people to remember from your research findings? Uh, I mean, we did this research uh, in an uh, aspiration that um, the hazard actually that we have identified, people should actually try to use this hazard information for any of their uh, preparedness as well as planning and development. And if people actually able to use this study in their development planning as well as investment, it could make sure that they are actually considering all the hazard in the area and um, their infrastructure would be tsunami-proof or their um, preparedness will be making them tsunami-ready. And I think that's what I wanted to people to, uh, to take on. And I also like to see, actually, uh, not only Fiji just take this kind of approach. Um, I hope our development partner or um, SPC, who is actually quite leading in this area to supporting to the member country in the Pacific, they can actually help other uh, community in the other country to ensuring that a proper tsunami hazard assessment has been done. And that has been applied for their decision-making. It's just not a study. Rather, it's able to ground it in the community, let them to share, and then understand what does it means to them. Um, often, actually, we do a study. It doesn't actually reflect what does it means to a community, a common people, or a, co a sector. So we want really to see that kind of application of this study so that um, it can actually able to save people's life and reduce the damage of the property due to tsunami. So for now, it's just Fiji. But as we've heard, Fiji is highly vulnerable. Hopefully in the future, though, there will be a tsunami hazard assessment for every community in the Pacific, and you will be able to know just how serious the threat is for you and where it is likely to come from. In the meantime, don't wait. Make an evacuation plan. Make sure everyone knows how to get to high ground. And if you feel an earthquake, do not hesitate. Get everyone to high ground as soon as possible. 
Pacific prepared reporter Shreya Kumar speaking with leading researcher Bapon Fakhruddin. Head to the Pacific prepared section on the Radio Australia website to hear other episodes featuring more on this research. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It is produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, One Nomo Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP and TBC Tonga. My name is Aaron Carney. We'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, please stay safe, share what you have learned here and together we will help get the Pacific prepared. Pacific Prepared.